It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to the final late lunch of the first week of February on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show. Lots of chat and interesting people to come over the next couple of hours. Let's get straight to it this Friday afternoon. You know them well if you're a listener to LMFM Radio. Development Perspectives. Their theme is this. This is what they promote. To live in an equitable, just and sustainable world. They're an NGO based in Drogheda and they are involved in a fantastic new national initiative. It's called SELTA and DP are the lead partner. And I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch co-founder and director of Development Perspectives, Bobby McCormick. Bobby, great to see you again. Cheers, Jerry. Thanks for having me in. Thank you for joining me today. This is really good news, I'm sure, from DP's point of view, that here you are leading this national project. Who else is involved in this? Yeah, so we, we were, as you say, leading this national project. Um, Concern Worldwide is one of the partners. Aintis, which some of your listeners might know, they, they're involved in adult education across the country. Irish Rural Link and then Minute University through their Department of Adult and Community Education. So for listeners today, what is SELTA? So it's actually an Irish word that, and I suppose, translates into worldly wise. And and we think that's pretty apt in terms of what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to get people to be a bit more worldly wise about the world that we live in and, and the issues and challenges that are facing communities locally and then internationally. And who is it for? Who can partake in this? And what way is it going to unfold over the coming weeks, months and years? Well, well, thankfully, Irish Aid have given us support for the next two years. And it's a nationwide programme. So although we're based in Drogheda, we'll be working all over the country. So like in the next week, we have workshops in Cavan and Galway as one example of that. But essentially, we're, we're trying to target adults who are involved in education, but not higher education. So really, what we're trying to do is to reach things like public participation networks, further education institutes, the likes of Diffie here in Drogheda or O'Fee in Dundalk. We're trying to work with farmers through Irish Rural Link. We're trying to work with communities across the country that wouldn't ordinarily have the opportunities because they're not based in big cities to take part in projects and workshops to learn more about things like equality and poverty and climate change. So we're trying to reach communities where they're at rather than trying to bring them centrally to Dublin or Cork or Galway. We're trying to go out to communities as much as we possibly can. You mentioned education there, being in the education sphere. What does that mean? Do you have to be employed as 
No, no, you don't have to be employed as long as you're actively involved. So as an example, it could be a case that, say, friends, you're, you're a volunteer in the local GAA club. Okay. And, and what you're trying to do, I suppose, is to, to bring attention to the fact that women don't get maybe a fair crack of the whip in terms of like the GAA potentially. Or indeed, you could be involved maybe, let's say, for instance, in a family resource centre in, in or parts of Cavan, say, and you're trying to raise issues around, like, what does equality look like? On what grounds is discrimination outlawed? Those types of issues. But you don't have to be in paid employment. Although, if you are, that doesn't rule you out. That rules you in. Um, if it's a case that people are tutors in adult education centres, if they're facilitators of learning generally, if they're social workers, if they're community development practitioners, they're all welcome. So you're taking this roadshow around the country to roll this out, tell people what it's all about. How, how many will partake in this ultimately in a national basis? Have you a figure on that? Or? Yeah, well, we're hoping certainly over the next two years that like in the ballpark of around 15,000, 16,000 people will participate. Yeah, that's the, the ambition, I suppose. I mean, it's it's still relatively new, but that's what we're looking for. I mean, one one example of how we do that is that we, we've got a, an application open at the moment for the SDG Advocate Programme, the SDG being the Sustainable Development Goals. And on that, there's only 26 places. So then people might be thinking, well, how are you reaching this target of like 15 or 16,000 people? But they're all multipliers. They're all actively involved potentially in communities across the country. So our theory of change is based on that. If this 26 group of people can really kind of like ramp up their actions and reach far more people and, and with our support which is what we can offer them now we can offer them far more support than we ever did previously we can really reach more communities so a great example of that uh, is that like there's a there's a couple of, of people who've gone through the SDG Advocate Programme Patrick and Heather who are doing a plastics workshop in Drogheda over the next couple of weekends and they're based in Galway they're, they're, they run an SDG hub in Athenry so they set up a hub to really kind of like look at issues in the Galway area. And it was through the SDG Advocate Programme that that initiative was was born. So they're going on to do wonderful things. And what we're really hoping for is that there's lots more like Patrick and Heather. So you will take a number of people and then it will trickle down into the communities. That's the idea. When you mentioned those thousand, I nearly fell off the chair when you said the numbers there. That's the idea. You're not going to have all those people on the programme. No, like I would say potentially probably a third of that will be direct participants. Okay. Yeah, so people that will actually participate physically in our programmes over the next two years will be ballparked at 5,000. Okay. But but they will hopefully reach at least three times that amount through their work. I see what you're... And, And hopefully more. I mean, again, that's that's the ambition of the project. We really do want to to make an impact. It's not not just for the sake of it. Um, what's involved in this? For for anyone listening today who said there's something that I could be interested in, uh, you know, they're listening ears cocked at the moment to what you're saying. What, what, what do you have to commit to this? Well, the great part of it is that there's a diversity of opportunities. If people have a lot of time and they're really committed to, to being involved in something that's a bit more long-term, we've got eight-month programmes called the SDG Advocate Programme, which I mentioned. But then if it's a once-off workshop that people are interested in over two hours to learn more about a particular issue, then that's absolutely the case. If it's a case then that they want to take part in a training of trainers programme, we will have one in the southeast of the country in the next couple of months and the northeast of the country in the next couple of months. And so that would only involve three days of workshops. And then as a result of that, they will then be afforded mentoring and coaching opportunities. So we've got very kind of like time limited uh, possibilities and then much more expansive than that. So there's a whole range of ways people can get involved. I should say as well, though, we, we are offering accredited possibilities. So so a lot of that is in the non-formal 
Nationals side where you don't get a qualification. But with our partner, one of them being Minute, we're offering accreditation formally through Minute University, which is fantastic. So there's a real pathway for people to develop professionally, both, you know, on a once off workshop, as I say, or to go on and get a level eight or level nine qualification. Yeah. How will people know that you're in the area? Will you, is it a social media end of things? Will you advertise? Will you talk about it on shows like this? What? Well, well indeed, all of that. I mean, we, we have a, a good social media presence that we'll, we'll absolutely, absolutely ramp up, but also using local media, newspapers, radio stations around the country to let people know. But what's also important is that Aintis and Irish Rural Link have existing national networks. So they'll be letting people know that are actively involved in their networks about these possibilities. And and I think without Aintis and Irish Rural Link involved, the the, the programme would, would certainly be, I, I, I just don't think, as feasible. But with their involvement, we really think that we can achieve, I suppose, what, what we've set out to. Poverty, inequality, climate change, the three main headlines yeah. that uh, uh, we're talking about here. What about poverty, number one? You know, we talk, you know, our own country here mm. in Ireland and we hear of, an example is the Mead Food Bank we've been talking about that with a wonderful lady and her team, you know, helping people who can't put food on the table. Mm. And we see the homelessness around the country. You know, at times you'd wonder, mm. poverty is a real issue in this country. Poverty is massive. And, and I don't think people realise how poverty and inequality as two issues feed into so many other things, like, say, mental health challenges. If, if people are really struggling day to day, week to week to put food on the table or to find a house for the evening, then it's very difficult to, you know, go to work. It's very difficult at all to go to school. It's very difficult at all, even if you're at school, to concentrate. I mean, I know that even in Dundalk IT, we would be aware, you know, over the last couple of years of students that would been in very precarious situations and that the level then of support that would be needed for those people, you know, it's, it's just huge. So so from our point of view, you need to tackle the root cause of many of the challenges that we're seeing in our communities. And that means really addressing inequality and poverty. If I use Drogheda as one example, we, we just not far here from the studio, you've got housing estates that are suffering from a huge number of challenges. And then right next door to those housing estates, you've got other areas that are massively wealthy. I, I, I try to put my head and my thoughts to this constantly and think it is an unequal world. It probably always has been, but it's becoming more unequal for an awful lot of people. We were talking here just a week ago with our women about the two Irelands that there are. Like you talked there, that's the example you give. Mm. Running side by side, parallel. Oh my God, that's the Carlsberg phone. Where did that come from? Well, I knocked that off. But getting back to the point, um, where did that come from? You know, that you have those two completely... Opposites, side by side. How do you tackle that? How do, will there ever be an equal world, Bobby? Well, some countries do it very well and some countries do it far less well. So if we look at, let's say, Japan or we look at like Sweden or we look at Denmark, then they, they deal with inequality in a different way. Finland, again, through its education system, has tried to eliminate inequality as a cornerstone of its public policy. The, the benefits then to be accrued are massive. So as an example, if you've got a society that's got high levels of inequality, then you're going to have lots of health challenges. They, the, 
society's going to have to pay for. The question is, do we pay for it in advance, a far lower amount, and deal with inequality? Or do we wait for everybody to get sick and then deal with it when it comes to react, reacting to things? And it's we know from evidence all over the world that dealing with income inequality is key if you want to, let's say, lessen homicide rates, or you want to have less obesity, or you want to have, let's say, less teenage pregnancies. We know that income inequality is a key factor for considering this. The, the difficulty is, though, it doesn't really get considered when it comes to policy making in Ireland. And, and that's, I suppose, part of our remit. We need to shine a light on the fact that dealing with inequality is key if we want to have a just, sustainable world. Everybody should have equal opportunity and equal access. And, and, and what a place we'd live in. What a, what a country this could become. The other point to make on this, and it's just something's come to my mind, there how many billionaires have we been talking about this week that live in this country? Billionaires now. Many, many thousands and thousands of millionaires and multimillionaires. You know, Bobby, we need more philanthropists. We need more people in those spheres to say... I don't need all of this. Yeah. I can help. Is that not another aspect to it? Well, well it is. But I, I would say that, like, um, taxation is a better way of dealing with that. I mean, like, even to have a society have, having billionaires allowed, I mean, that's just a bizarre situation. Like, you know, I, I think if you look at Davos last year, Rutger Bregman put it well in terms of philanthropists, like, keep your philanthropy, pay your tax. I think that if, if you look at wealth generation around the world, it's really key that people cannot accrue a massive amount of wealth. Now we're talking, as you say, billions, yeah. because essentially that comes from somewhere. So where does it come from? I mean, we, we must be reminded that at least 50% of the planet right now have less than five euros in a day. So that's at least 50% of the planet. So if we have then, say, a number of billionaires that have got a huge amount of wealth, that completely distorts so many things in society. It distorts public services, it distorts education, it distorts health. And that's not got to do with innovation. Most of our billionaires around the world are not the most intelligent, most innovative people. In in many ways, they're lucky. Um, and in many ways, they, they build their success on the back of what taxpayers feed into. So they, they can't build their billions without an education system, without a healthcare system, without a housing system that works. So so sadly, it's a case that people have accrued a massive amount of wealth and, and the society isn't really benefiting from that. So we really need to think differently about, you know, how do we make sure that more people have more opportunities? The third word we mentioned there in the context of all of this, we've been talking about poverty, inequality. And of course, you were with us last year when we did a two hour special here on Late Lunch on climate change. And of course, it's been talked about the last few weeks, in particular in this country, for a very good reason with what's happening tomorrow as we go to the polls. Um, Do you think that we're getting to grips with this. Do you think government are serious about getting to grips with it? Do you think that people actually understand that this planet's in trouble? Well, I think it's very welcome that people are talking about it much more than they have been previously. But are we getting to grips with it? Sadly not. And and we look to evidence then for that. So where would that opinion come from? If we look at Ireland's emissions over the last number of years, they're more or less flatlined. It's not that they're reducing. 
And that's the worry. It's the worry that, like in Ireland's case, the amount of emissions is more or less staying the same, which I suppose you could argue, well, at least we're not increasing. But the problem is we need to decrease it because the planet has warmed too much. And and that's that being said, there are wonderful initiatives going on. So the Mead Climate Academy through Mead County Council is a wonderful initiative that needs support and, and, and the work needs to be credited, I suppose. But we need to ramp it up massively. If I just use one example from today... Um, you know, Amazon has got planning permission for its data centre in, in Drogheda and data centres are welcome in many ways aside from the energy end of things. If that data centre doesn't use renewable energy, then it won't matter what efforts people in Drogheda will really put behind climate change because it'll dwarf everything else. If it's a case that like loud and Ireland more generally is serious about climate action, we need to look at really ramping up our renewable energies. And that means the likes of, say, Amazon in this case, that it has to commit to taking its energy from renewable sources. And that might mean lots more wind turbines locally. But I think people need to realise that like this energy that we use, it doesn't just come from nowhere. It has to come from somewhere. So is it coming from a a renewable source or is it coming from a source that's really going to do far more damage? They're the types of issues that we need to grapple with. And as I said, Ireland's emissions isn't falling. When you travel abroad, and I meant to mention as part of the eight-month training uh, part of this programme, if you go that road, there will be involved trips abroad. Mm. You have uh, the option of uh, perhaps going to Vietnam or Tanzania. I was just looking at this. And you're familiar with, you know, other places in other parts of the world. You know, here we have adverse weather conditions, either too hot or it's mad stormy or this, that. But really, on the ground in other parts here, you you can testify as to it's real, it's happening. The difficulties are there today, massively. Absolutely. I mean, in in Vietnam's case, it's got a huge coastal community that is struggling massively with the shifts in water temperature. And that affects their livelihoods in a direct way because then fish will move given the temperature of the waters locally. Um, In Tanzania, it's a massive country and on the inland side of Tanzania, not the coastal part, you know, lots of, of kind of like droughts have increased dramatically. Food sources, water sources are becoming less available. Um, sadly, communities around the world that are often more vulnerable feel the pinch forced. And and in those two countries, as examples, they're feeling the pinch. And they, the interesting thing is that they've been feeling it for a long time. I mean, going back to 2006, 7, 8, 9, colleagues and friends in Tanzania were saying the weather has changed, the climate is changing. And I, and I think at that stage, although there was a lot of robust evidence, it wasn't freely available, arguably. Whereas now we know that that's the case. And we know that those stories that we heard about for the Maasai community in Arcaria, that they're real, that they're not just something that they thought about, that it was a once-off event, but that actually the trend is showing that these places are becoming really kind of like, yeah, just climate-severe you know, things that are happening are not once-off events. There's a clear pattern and we see it every year. We see it in Tanzania and we'll see it again this year and we'll see it in Vietnam. What do you say to people who say, oh, look at Bobby Ireland's tiny, we're a dot in the world, we're this little island off the edge of Western Europe and we're still really relatively sparsely populated. We're not that industrialised anymore the way that has shifted and 
what difference will it make if, if, if we make a change? You know, people will throw that at you, I'm yeah, sure. No, completely. And, and that's where we need to go back to evidence because it's really important to look at, well, what's the facts behind this? So let's compare just two places, Ireland and Liberia. Liberia is a country in West Africa, very similar population to Ireland. And then we look at, like, say, GDP, the amount of money that the countries make. Liberia is a very poor country in comparison to Ireland if we use gross domestic product as a figure. But then we look at climate. Ireland has 66 billion tonnes of carbon emissions going into the atmosphere every year. Liberia has less than 1 million. So then we go to County Mead, a population of 190,000. Mead's climate emissions is far more than Liberia's. So Liberia is a population of 4.8 million. So Mead is doing far more damage to the world than Liberia. Like, that doesn't make sense from, from a, a just transition point of view. Ireland is making a massive impact globally, negatively, when it comes to climate emissions. And and I, that doesn't sit well with us because I think Ireland's got a very proud history of, of trying to make the world a fairer place. And this is a way that we're not. We're contributing on the one hand by saying, well, we're giving, let's say, overseas development aid to some countries. We're actually taking back multiples of that through the damage that we're doing to communities around the world. So what I would suggest is is that we stop doing the damage and try to contribute to making a world a fairer place. Ireland, relatively speaking, is a very wealthy country. Depending on which way you mention it, it's either from 10th to 5th, depending on the measurement used. And and so even though lots of local people, and this goes back to inequality, lots of people who are poor in Ireland don't realise that that's the case, which goes back then to the question that we talked about earlier on around equality. Fascinating stuff and such powerful words to to dwell on and think about and, and, and start to understand. Bobby, look, thanks for joining me today. We'll be back to this through the year, I promise you, because it's something that really interests us here to highlight and talk about even more. Wish you well with SAILTA and for people, again, to fi- who want to find out more about it. Yes, indeed. I mean, in particular, anyone that's interested in applying for our SDG Advocate Programme, all of the information is available on the Development Perspectives website. The closing date for that, just to give it a shout out, is the 25th of February. So I would, I would ask any of your listeners, if they know of any family members that might be interested, spread the word. Bobby, as usual, thanks a million. Bobby McCormick, co-founder and director of Development Perspectives. The Euro Millions jackpot guaranteed 130 million euro. You must play before half past seven this evening. And to celebrate, we're giving you a chance to win cash on lmfm.ie and our Instagram page. Go check it out. And remember, play responsibly and play for fun. Just reminding you that the smash hit show, Reeling in the Showban Years, is coming back to the TLT in Drogheda this day week, Friday the 14th of February for Valentine's Night. You can go back to the magical era of popular music. Ronan Collins is the host in Compare. And there's a host of showband stars taking the stage with him. Red Hurley, Linda Martin, Keith and Lorraine McDonald, Sean O'Dowd and the big sound of the Conqueror's show band. And of course, the Swalbrigs, the Eurovision stars will be there as well. Reeling in the showband years, TLT Drogheda this night week, Friday the 14th of February. And tickets are available now from the TLT box office. I have two pair of tickets to give away in late lunch today. Here's the question. What's Red Hurley's real Christian name? 
Red Hurley's real Christian name, please, to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text with your name and details. And we pick a couple of winners before the end of the show. Now, let me tell you, there's a wonderful exhibition going on at the moment in Kells Courthouse. And it's the work of a, a brilliant woman from Hayestown. You know Hayestown, near Navin in County Mead. She's living in Helsinki and she joins me on the line. Jane Hughes, good afternoon. Hi, how are you, Jerry? Nice I'm, to hear from you. Uh, nice to hear from you too. Thank you indeed. Look, this exhibition has caught the imagination. It really has. It was in the Torah Gallery first, first and now it's in Kells Courthouse at the moment. Tell us a bit about your work, uh, how you brought it together and the essence of it. Yeah, the exhibition is called uh, Places, Histories and Other Matters. And uh, it's a series of paintings started over the last year and a half or so. And it's kind of a mixture of uh, references to old photographs from Finland and also from the west of Ireland and some from Germany. So kind of a collection of images from my travels that kind of relate to social history and some characters like uh, Father Richard Horne, who was a magician priest, uh, famous in Ackle in the 70s, and different little tidbits like that are painted into 40 by 40 uh, canvas or MDF paintings Mm. there that are on show. So there's 15 paintings on show. They're beautiful and we're hearing great reports back from people who visited the exhibition and seen them. So what you do is, on your travels, you pick up these old photographs, you take them with you and you paint them. I do, yeah. I go I go hunting for them. So I went into the... I had a residency down in the Heinrich Oil Cottage in Ackle, which is a really lovely place for artists that you can apply to go to. The Generously from the family, the Bull family, they donated the cottage for artists to go and stay. So last summer I was there for three weeks and I went to the local library and then to the local archives and looked through the Conic Times and the Mayo Times from the last hundred years and found some images to work from there, for example, and the same here in the local library in Pasilla here in Helsinki and Around the place, flea markets and antique bookshops and you never know where you'll find something interesting. (laughs) Definitely not. And you are certainly bringing uh, images of yesteryear back to life. Can I ask you this, like uh, going back with you and where this all came from, came from, of course, you you studied for your uh, arts degree in fine art at the National College of Art and Design in Dublin. Um, Were you always arty from a young age? (laughs) It's a good question. Um... I think I was. I think when I was a kid that I was like quite enjoyed painting and uh, I remember my mum kind of letting me uh, paint outside uh, because fear of I guess wrecking the kitchen table so I was let go <laughs> wild on the outdoor table and just painted that instead of the paper so I think I had the urge to do big scale painting so I think it all turned to grey mud in the end but at least uh, it was good work to let me paint the table outside. I think that's wonderful encouragement and wise words to uh, parents and people looking after young children today. Let them at it and you never know where it will lead down the road. But look, you are based now in Helsinki, a city I had the privilege of visiting. It's a beautiful, beautiful city, but I'm sure contrasts summer to winter regarding the light. Yeah, it's fairly dark here now for November 
December and January, but then it switches. So now the the hard part's over. So I think it's always a little bit doom and gloom when it's uh, dark at 10 o'clock and still doesn't really get bright and the street lights are on and it's pitch dark again at 2.30. So it's always a little struggle with the vitamin D and getting the energy up. But it changes rapidly then from February onwards and by June it's like almost 24 hour daylight mm. so that's also quite beautiful yeah I was there uh, so there's the good and the bad yeah I was there late summer early autumn and it was nearly 24 hour light as you say um Living there, it, it's we're hearing all the time now. It's it's really progressive on a range of issues, and the women are driving it in in government because just this week uh, we hear that dads are going to get the same parental leave as mums, and then only a, co- a couple of weeks ago, uh, the prime minister there, Sanna Marin, uh, announced a four day working week, six hour days coming up. Oh God, it must be just manana, is it, to live in Finland? Well, I think it's, I just read a, a book by, about the life of Rosa Luxemburg recently, one of the earliest socialists there in 1900s, and she was already then, they were fighting for a six-hour work week, like when it was 17-hour work week in Russia in 1890s, they fought for a 12-hour day and then a 10-hour day, and then they left it at, at an eight-hour day in 1917. So it's, the six-hour day has been has been there since the early 1900s. So I think it's it's not the first person to come up with it, but I think it's brilliant that she's in power and she's uh, speaking, like speaking about it and has the, has the power to push it forward because so many people are completely burnt out. Mm. And I think there is a big problem with, with the work culture and people working 80 hour weeks and, different things you know yeah now you said it you, you are of course a, a wonderful visual artist you're a curator and educator as well um, be, be, is it just about the work that you do you know what we're seeing in the exhibition are you working all the time and combining that with something else or what yeah I teach evening classes here to adults which is really nice because it's people who come from work have a different uh, job, you know, whatever the backgrounds and various things, and then they just want to come and relax, and maybe they haven't done any anything arty since they were uh, a kid, and they just want to, you know, learn a new skill, do something with their hands, wind down, and it's really rewarding because they really they really enjoy it, and they re- and they see how hard it actually is, mm. like how long it actually takes to kind of master color to draw what you see and then to kind of know what you want to do and what you want to draw and to have ideas and things like this. And so I find that's that's really nice work. And then I also work as an art guide on Sundays. I do this Helsinki Art Walk. And it's also really nice to go around the galleries and meet the artists with people who are interested. And yeah, so I think there's always different kind of freelance work that you have to kind of juggle as an artist. So... That's the norm, really. Usually lots of people have quite a a few different jobs juggling. And I did a lot of youth work in Berlin with the city of Berlin for many years when I was living there and animation workshops with youth and different kids from different backgrounds and asylum seeker backgrounds and different things like that. Yeah. 
Keep you on your toes. Yeah, you have a lovely, you have a lovely mix, may I say, in your life, and 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 varied as well. And living in a country that is as progressive as Finland, well, I think you have it all going for you. Now, back to this exhibition that's taking place in Kells Courthouse at the moment, under the auspices of of Mead County Council. Is this the first one you've done in your home county, or have there been others before? I was in uh, a group exhibition in uh, Solstice Art Centre. Every year they have this surveyor exhibition. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I, in, I had some pieces in that in 2016. But this is the first solo exhibition now in, in my home county. So it's very nice. Thanks very much to Aideen McGinn and uh, Mead County Council for inviting me. They've been great. Yeah, oh no, well done to them and they're great promoters of the arts as well. Well, listen, just wanted to touch base with you to highlight this and encourage people to go to Kells and see your wonderful work. Continued success and enjoy the great times in Helsinki. Thank you for taking our call today, Jane. Thanks very much. Not Thanks at all. Much, Take Jane. care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Jane Hughes. Uh, lovely, lovely lady. And what a talent she is. If you're in Kells, do pop in and see it. I promise you, you'll love it. Late lunch, LMFM Radio You heard on the news there the story of Philip Schofield coming out today. Well, stay with us because we're going to talk to someone who had a similar experience who you know very well. It's trending everywhere. It's the story that just knocked everything else down the pile across social media and on all the news wires since it broke this morning. Yes, you heard Mark on our own news there mentioning that Philip Schofield came out today. Joining me on the line is a very good, well, he's one half of a very good friends of ours on Late Lunch. They're a fantastic partnership. Funky Fashion Frolics. Mike McCarthy's on the line. Good afternoon, Mike. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I am very good, and I really appreciate you, Mike, taking my call today. Uh, no problem. I, I, I take it you're as surprised as anyone else with the news of Philip. Um, I'm surprised, but I'm not sure that it is, you know, an issue that should be such a surprising event today. Though in Philip's case, I can understand that it is because I suppose thirty years ago in Ireland and the UK to come out was a very, very different thing. Mm-hmm. It might be just a little bit easier to come out today. But in Philip's case, I suppose he was part of the the media, the fabric, I suppose, of BBC Children's Television in the early 80s. And I suppose back then he would have tried very, very hard to suppress who he was. I can identify with that sort of feeling myself, uh, given my own experience. But his experience and mine would have been different, though there are parallels. But I can certainly understand the sort of social anxiety and the pressure that he must have felt to try and suppress who he actually was um, in order to fit in. Um, and to maintain his career. And I'm certain that over 27 years, he's had a very genuine, loving relationship with his wife, though that at times that he's really, really battled this sort of internal struggle to come to terms with mm. who he is. I think that's what what, what has been uh, the, the surprising factor, that, you know, he has been married for 27 years. He has two grown-up yeah. daughters as well, and it's a long, long time, and why now? But look, come back to your uh, your own story, Mike. Tell us yeah. about you. you. You were in a relationship with a lady. I was. Well, I suppose I'd need to go back further. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. I came from this beautiful village in Tipperary, a lovely Capoeite. Um, I've got a lot of very fond memories of my childhood, but I also have a lot of memories of being bullied, you know, physically bullied, being called a lot of names. Um, you know, I was in, involved in music and singing, and I suppose that my mannerisms were effeminate, but to me, I was only a child. I didn't really understand how other people were experiencing me. And so I would be called a lot of names, you know, a gang waiting off school buses maybe to hit me to the back of the head or spit in me or call me some of those, you know, 
derogatory terms that we now know are homophobic. Um, and of course, coming from Tipperary, a small village in the early 80s, you know, religion was a big thing in school and at home and going to Mass every week and confession. And I suppose from the time I was 17 or 18, I knew I was different. I kind of had an understanding of what it was, the word gay, but I just couldn't come to terms with it. Um, if I flicked through a magazine or if I saw somebody on the street or if I looked at a movie star and if I thought they were attractive, I was so down on myself. I would pray to God for those feelings to go away and um, I would try really, really hard to even watch my mannerisms, how I sat, how I spoke. And you know me, Jerry. I'm a very expressive person. Yes. You probably find it hard to believe yeah. that, uh, that, that I used to do that. But I used to because it was very, very important for me to try and fit in. And if somebody tried to out me, I would immediately stop being their friend out of fear because I wouldn't know what to do. Um, and I think back those years, you know, because I'm 42, so I'm still going back 30 years. You know, when gay men spend years being exposed to sort of homophobic rhetoric, stereotypes and myths, there's a portion of yourself that will actually internalize that negativity. And whether it's conscious or subconscious, you actually um, believe that it's wrong to, to, to be yourself. Mm. You're worried about your friends. You're worried that your family will fall out with you. Um, and it sort of puts you into that, uh, you know, battle between trying to be something that you're not, but struggling against the, the grain of, of, the, of the core of who you are. You know what I mean? Yes, I understand. Difficult I, I, to express, yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's kind of the crux of it. Mm. And, and, and can I say, just to lead on to, Anna, which I mentioned, you, you, you went into a relationship uh, with a girl, and that yeah. must have been one of the most difficult things ever, or was it? Not really, because, Jerry, I had myself so sort of in the mindset that I'm not gay, um, I, I don't want to be gay. I, I want to be like everybody else. I didn't know any gay people. Again, I came from a very small rural background. I spent three years in London and one year in Brussels and three years in London after my leaving cert. And I never went to a gay club. I couldn't even tell you where they were. You know, I stuck to my friends that I knew and the jobs that I was in. Um, and when I moved back from London, I moved to another beautiful village, Blessington. Um, which uh, today I'm here almost 20 years. I consider it to be home. Um, and I met my son's mother, you know, uh, just a, a wonderful girl. And uh, we started off with a friendship and then it, it ended up being a relationship. But again, referencing what I said earlier about Philip and his wife, you know, it was a genuine relationship. Mm. Um, it's, you know, everything felt right. We got on very, very well. Um, and, you know, after a time, um, we ended up that we were having a baby. Do you know what I mean? So I had nothing to compare it to. I'd never been with a man. That's the simplest way of putting it. And I had had suppressed who I was for so long that, again, I had nothing to compare it to. And all I knew was that I was with this wonderful girl. How, How long were you with her in total, do you mind me asking? Yeah, so we were together for, I'd say, a year. Okay. And then uh, uh, she fell pregnant, um, and we broke up during the pregnancy. So we weren't together when my son was born, but we maintained this wonderful, uh, you know, friendship. Um, she and her family knew that I would uh, completely do the right thing by her son and that I would stay in his life. Um, and after he was born, for the first couple of years, um our relationship just grew into this really, really strong friendship. And actually today it feels more like a brother and sister relationship because, you know, it's 17 years later, 
we've had wonderful family times, occasions, Christmases, going on holidays, um, and the two families have really merged and we've become very, very close. So I'm incredibly lucky and incredibly blessed. Yes. But I can resonate with the feeling of how difficult it is when you're in that situation where you know deep down that you're gay, but you're so worried about how society will treat you. And again, with marriage equality and everything today, there's, there's great liberal policies out there. People are much more enlightened, travelled. Um, our membership of the EU has been wonderful in terms of movement of people. So we've been able to see other other sides of life, um, you know. But back then, you know, it was very monoculture still in Ireland. Um, The church still had a very, very strong hold over people's, you know, beliefs and their ideologies. And um, I think it's only in the last even 15 years that we've sort of understood that, you know, our our sons, our daughters, our friends, our sisters, our relatives, there are people we know within those circles who are gay. And we understand that it's normal and we understand that, you know, everybody has the right to be treated equal. But back then, that that was not the case. You know, I remember a gay storyline on, on Fair City, even in the early 90s. And, um, you know, my father, who was a wonderful man, but obviously felt very, very uncomfortable and, and got up off the chair and, and changed the, the channel. That, that wouldn't have been to hurt me because obviously I wasn't out of the closet. I was only a teenager. Mm. But that, that really struck me. Mm. Uh, you know, so it's things like that. It's small things that you notice in other people, yes. how uncomfortable they are. And if you're already gay, then you're going to internalise that. Okay. And you're, and you're going to see that as something negative. Yes. To come back to the relationship, that drifted, you know, after your, your son was born. You mentioned the couple of years. Did you tell this woman that you were gay or how did you and when did you come out? Not straight away, Jerry. So when our son was two, I was starting to feel very, very down, very depressed. Um, you know, I was sort of coming to terms with the fact that I was gay myself. Um, but I still didn't know how I was going to express it and how I was going to tell anybody. And I also had the additional worry and feeling of anxiety of thinking, you know, I'm gay and I have a child and how do I tell my son's mother? And how do I tell her family? And how do I tell mine? I wasn't really worried about telling my friends, but my main priority was my son. So I decided out of complete respect for my son's mother that she was the first person that I was going to tell. You know, and even as I'm talking about it, I'm kind of feeling emotional because I can, I can, I can still remember the feelings and the sort of anxiety and the worry um, and the fear that I had, even though I had no need to feel that way, um, as it turned out. But I did have those feelings because, again, it's years and years of locked up, you know, suppression of, of your identity. And, and, Mike, tell me this. When you told her, mm. that must have been such a, a difficult moment for you. Do you remember how she took it? Well, I did the whole, you know, there's something I have to tell you and all that kind of thing. And... Um, my son's mother has this, you know, wonderful sense of humour and she calls me Mickey, you know. And she just said, well, Mickey, I kind of knew you were, you know, kind of, you know, myself. So she said, I never said it to you because it was it was up to you to when you were ready. Um, and, you know, we talked about the fact that our relationship was very, very genuine. And um, But as the years went on, you know, she kind of knew that I was and... 
she said, you know, the most important thing is that we put our son first. And I was worried about what her parents might think. And she said, you know, Mammy and Daddy, they love you. And they know that you've been very good to David since he was born. And she said, they're not going to look at you any differently. Because I suppose I'd been worried, you know, would I not be able to see him anymore? Or, you know, silly things that really yes. were silly. But at the time, those were the sorts of thoughts that were running through my own mind, you know. So I remember um, my son's nanny um, just, just, just said, you know, on his mother's side, just um, bringing it up casually. One day we were in a play centre and son was really, really young. As I say, he was only two. And um, she said, so I believe you've something to tell me. So we had the conversation again. And she said to me, look, that could be my daughter telling me that she's a lesbian. And wouldn't it be worse if, if you and her were sick or had cancer? And, you know, she said, the, the, there's no issue at all. And we want you to be happy and we want you to be able to live your life. And I remember even saying to her, I was so relieved. Oh, well, I won't meet anyone until he's 18. And she was laughing and saying, don't be so ridiculous. You know, <laughs> the most important thing is to put the child first and um, whoever either of you meet, that they're decent people and all the rest of it and that we make things work, and which is what we went on to do, you know. And as you know, Paul and I are, are together now six years. Yeah. Um, he and my son have a wonderful relationship. Um, we explained to my son when he was eight that I was gay in a, in a child-friendly way because at the time I was doing an RT2 show called Do the Right Thing um, with a bunch of volunteers, which was Baz and Lucy at the time in RT2. And just because in school, perhaps some of the parents might have mentioned that I was gay, and in case it was mentioned to my son, we decided that we, that we would kind of preempt anything. So we just explained to him in a very, very simple way that there's different religions and different faiths and that there's different cultures, different, uh, um, that, that some people are black, some people are white, you know, and that, that we explained what gay was. But he kind of already knew, because it's funny today, children are a little bit more enlightened. So he just, at the time, he was only eight, he said, is that when two boys or two girls are together? And that was it. There was nothing ever said after that. Perfect. A couple of years later, I was watching um, EastEnders, I remember, at the time, with his nanny. And just the three of us in the room, my son, his nanny, and myself. And there was a gay storyline on EastEnders with Christian and Saeed. And out of the blue, Jerry, he said, Daddy, you never said who you're gay with. Completely out of the blue. And I was, for just a split second, just a little bit taken aback and... Um, at the time, I was seeing um, a Brazilian guy, and his nanny just said, well, you know his, his friend, and she mentioned his name, and she said, well, yeah, that's who, who your daddy is with, you know. And he just smiled, and he was as happy as Larry, and that was the end of it. Mm. The next time he kind of referenced anything about me being gay was around the time of the marriage equality referendum, because he was disgusted himself at some of the no posters, you know. Yes. And at the time, I was trying to explain to him, but that's people are entitled to a different point of view. Mm. and that not everybody would share the same opinion and that that's okay. And I was trying to teach him, you know, about tolerance, really. Yes. You, you can have one opinion and somebody else can have another opinion once you don't shut each other down and at least listen to somebody else's point of view. Um, so, and, 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 yeah, that's I... it. And now he's 17 and, you know, yeah. we're, I'm his father, very responsible, but, you know, we, we have great uh, relationship, we have great yes. staff, 
exact same relationship mm. with his mother. She's wonderful. Um, but, you know, he can talk to me openly and freely now if he, if he has any questions. But yes. He knows I'll answer him. And he's got gay friends that, that go to his yeah. school. And, yeah. you know, he's very, very, you know, happy and, mm. and uh, balanced. And, you know, he's had the traditional upbringing and that he's had his mum and his dad. But at the other end of that, I think it's a wonderful day that there are gay men and uh, members of the LGBTIQ community who can have children through surrogacy or who can choose to adopt children and and that's only right and fair. If you're yes, and, and, and just come back to the to the time when you did tell you you told his mum first. Did you wait a little while before you introduced it to you know her family and your own family? Was there much of a gap there? Did, did you just say, look, no, I, I've told you, I'm going to move on this now? There wasn't really a gap yeah. at all, and I suppose I just felt immense relief that night. And yes, I can I imagine. Knew that my son's mother would would tell her parents, and I yeah. was telling her not to. Yeah. Because you, you can't tell people, you can't uh, disclose something personal. And, and for some people, that could be a bombshell. And, and you have to respect their feelings, too. And I was always sort of very savvy in that way. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, I always, I, I, I have good empathy, and I was always able to put myself into other people's shoes. Yeah, and... and way back then. And, and, I, and that's probably what led me into social care, in fact. But yes. I knew that she was going to tell her parents, and I was a little bit nervous about meeting them. But... Mm. Um, they were just so wonderful. Yeah, and, and like, wonderful. How, how how that must have felt for you to hear those words you mentioned earlier on there of acceptance and, and, and no issues at all. The relief thing, I, I'm just thinking about, you know, when you take today a, a massive star like Philip Schofield and this breaks and how he's feeling. That feeling, come back to that again, that feeling when you did uh, reveal that you were gay. Yeah, well, it just feels like a big weight has been lifted off. And I really have to admire Philip and, and his wife, Stephanie, and their children, because he told them two years ago, and they chose to keep that private so that as a family, they could deal with it as a private family matter. So it wasn't like he came out and then all of a sudden mm. it was all over the media and then he had to deal with that. He, they've been able to work through the confusion, maybe the upset, because in his in his case, it, it's, there's a parallel, but it's very different. His children are 26 to 27. My son was a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very, very different. Mm-hmm. His children had to come to terms with their father telling them at 27 years of age, I'm gay, which does sort of lead to eventually the breakup of his marriage. And I'm sure when he's ready, he will meet a partner and hopefully he'll be in a good relationship and in a good headspace. But it's very, very different for him because I battled that maybe for six years, you know, from 18 to whatever age, 26. But he's, 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 he's been battling that probably from the age of 17 or 18 up until the age he is now, which is probably 52 or 3. I'm not sure what age he is. Yeah. But also within that time, he has been in a long-term marriage. He's been married to a woman. He's had his family. By all accounts, he seems to be a very, very good father and a good husband. And I didn't even realise that the story had broke, actually, um, until the lovely Louise uh, got in touch with me this morning. But um, I had a quick, quick look at, uh, the, the, at some of the BBC headlines. So from what I've read, you know, he, that, 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 that they took their time they had a couple of years to work out the confusion. But in initially telling them, for him, that must have been even a much more heavy burden to carry. Yes, yes. Um, and his wife may have uh, had an idea. She may have known over the years, but wanting to save her marriage and probably as well wanted to believe that it wasn't the case and they probably had great companionship 
more than anything else. I don't know. I can only speculate. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, and again, Mike, just before we finish, what year was that you you're talking about when you when you told uh, herself and your families? Two thousand and four. My Mike, what a mm. different Ireland it was then. Very, very different. Because even back then, even though I wasn't out of the closet, you know, I could be crossing the streets sometimes and uh, somebody might pull down the car window and shout a homophobic slur, you know. And look, Jerry, we've come so far, but I'm still reading in Ireland, in Dublin, in parts of the country where people are being attacked and beaten. Um, and recently somebody was stabbed, you know, um, because of being gay. So that there's a pocket of society that still holds those very, very negative views. Um, but on the whole, I think that uh, each generation is becoming much more enlightened, much more understanding, compassionate, caring, and understanding that, you know, people are people. Um, everybody just do their best to live their life. Um, and I'm sure a lot of gay men and gay women today still don't feel comfortable walking down the street holding their partner's hand. Mm. You know, I- because... Because there still is that, that that sort of negative stereotype to a degree. Yes. But, but but it is getting better. We are moving in the right direction. I was very sad that the UK has decided to 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 leave the EU. I hope that a future generation opts back in because in the wake of that, we have seen that that there has been, I suppose, uh, racism. You yes, know, across the board. Been, yeah, yeah, yeah. Across I, the board. Yeah. Uh, that the only other point on that is that I suppose the referendum result had to be respected you know, because of the fact that they voted to leave. That's the only thing I admire about the whole thing. Yeah. Other than that, I hope to God that they come back soon, you know. Yeah, I'm sure there's a yeah. lot of people who would echo those feelings. Mm. Look, mm. Mike, I have to leave it there for today. I really do appreciate yeah. you taking our call. No uh, and uh, again, to throw some light on Philip Schofield's situation yeah. today. But you know what, even I've known this from I ever met you, <laughs> the <Yeah>. Perry uh, <laughs> funky fashion frolics. You are great, great people. And today just underlines that even more. And so are you, Jerry. Thank you, Mike. Gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you for taking our call. Thank you so much. God bless. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mike McCarthy there. Late lunch, LMFM radio. Sometimes there are interviews and calls you make that just will stay with you for a long time. That one will with me. My next guest has a history of service and volunteering stretching back to the credit union movement where she got involved in 1998. She is currently president of Rotary Navin and I'm delighted to welcome to late lunch Jackie McCormick. Jackie, good to see you. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me on the show. Tell me about that credit union involvement back then. What was that about? How did you get involved? Well, we always had a history and an involvement at home in the family and uh, I was approached by Michael Woods, the then general manager, would I get involved? He wanted to have, you know, younger people involved. So in 1986, I joined and I worked right through all the committees in regard to it and then was honoured to be appointed um, the president, the first lady president. And I worked with the, the team there, the board and all the staff, moving it right through all the regulatory phases, the mergers and the name change in regard to uh, Navin Credit Union. It became Credit Union Plus. Mm. Um, so look, at I had a wonderful time, uh, both an experience uh, locally and internationally, and it was great. Then when I took a break, um, Rotary 
came along and asked would I be interested in, in joining. So I took on that role and at, currently I'm president in Rotary Club of Navan. And you made a lovely speech when you became president. I actually read it at the time and uh, you, 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 you spoke about the honour it was to, to take the chains of office. Yes, it's a great honour to have that bestowed on you so that you take the mantle on and you, you say, how am I going to address this uh, with the community, both the local community and the international com- community out there? And bring Rotary home, bring it back into the into each and every house. So I think um, this year we have really progressed that and it, it's got an affiliation out there. Like we had a huge turnout for the Tree of Remembrance at Christmas. Absolutely phenomenal. And um, people were so kind and good and supportive of us. And I think if we weren't there, we'd be missing. Mm. So, um, yeah, any of the projects we do, we go right across um, the gambit. We look at uh, older people, we look at... Um, uh, there's children from the special schools and um, all areas of need were there to support in the in the year. So hopefully it's working this year. Can anyone become a Rotarian? It's open to men and women, yeah? Yes, absolutely. Now, historically, it started back in the 1920s when yep. Paul Harris laid out on it. And at that point in time, when people worked, um, uh, you wouldn't have had the IT connectivity or anything like that. So in America, you'd be moving from city to state or whatever. So he devised that this possibly would have been an area where a group of business people can get together on an evening and say, how can we give back to our community? So it started off like that and now it's worldwide. It's an international um, uh, driven programme now and um, it, it also... In, it has ladies involved now. At one point in time, it had to be changed in regard to the it course was, yeah. in, in the US. But it has. Ladies are involved. Yes. And I suppose one of our biggest projects from the international field is um, uh, eradicating polio. We yeah. are now down to two countries in the world, Afghanistan and Pakistan. And with the support of Bill Gates, all of that um, huge monetary support and all of the work with the World Health Organization, that has been achieved. And it's one of the um, hallmarks of Rotary that Rotary was involved and led out on that and it's it's very unique um, achievement in regard to it. When you talk about that international aspect and it is wonderful to think and please God the day will come when it'll be eradicated in those two countries as well and mission accomplished but let's talk about another uh, major international initiative Rotary are involved in at the moment it's called Bikes for Africa what's this about? Bikes for Africa it has been established by Rotary in the last three years but uh, this year Navin took on board and said what can we do in this changing environment who can be our partners and who can we link with so the Meath County Council were very supportive Bernadette Carey and, and Larry Whelan um, t- uh, I linked with them we partnered and Jackie Maguire the CEO was hugely supportive particularly with climate change and sustainability so uh, then we linked with our uh, partners were Hydro International and also the local bike shop and uh, we got together and we designed a programme and we said, right, if we can get 600 bikes out to um, Africa on a container, how do we go about it in the local community then? So we have a container. It's in the local recycling centre in Mullaboy. It's coloured blue and yellow and it has the rotary um, features. And Navin Cycle Centre donated two old bikes. So it really is well displayed. It's open five days a week and you can go in there and dispose of your bike and it's left there. We have shipped 200 bikes to Africa, uh, to Gambia at the moment and our target is the final 400 in this year. Um, it would be great because 
out there, the children, as they attend school, they may have to cycle between 5k and 10k and even above that to get to school. They're tired when they get there. And I mean, the main focus is for for you, your family, is to get them highly educated Mm. and get them on. So they walk at the minute. So you can imagine the difference a bicycle makes travelling those journeys. Huge. 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 In the heat, you can imagine cycling or walking in the huge heat and getting to school and being really, really tired. Mm. So it's such a bonus. Yes. And the bikes, you can drop them again into Mullaboy there. It's open there. If you have, if you're listening today and you have a bicycle and you're not using it anymore, this is the place to take it. And it will benefit so many people in another part of the world. Now, if they're a bit out of shape or they need a bit of work, you've also linked with somebody else to uh, recondition them. Yes. Yeah, this is... Um, this programme also links with Lachan House and the prisoners there also benefit from it. They are on a City and Girls training programme so they will, when they go out of prison they'll also have some uh, uh, qualification and also all the bikes then are sent out from there directly to Gambia and they've been uh, brought to a good condition at that point in time. So it's a, it's a win for all. All of us involved, the local community, the prisoners, and then also that link abroad. I love it because that is wonderful to just contemplate. There are so many people gaining from this. So you've got 200. The aim is 600. Look, I know there's loads of people out there listening today who have the bicycles stashed in the shed or the garage or whatever. You'll probably never use them. Think about this. Get them to Mullaboy, drop them off there and you'll feel good when you do it as well because you are helping so many people. And of course, then you have the links on the other side in Africa where the bikes are distributed over there. Yes, yes, absolutely. We have a, a Sean Devereaux, a Father Sean Devereaux has the link there for us. Now, this year, they're actually going to look to say, well, look, at can we set up a training um, angle? over there in Africa because when they break down over there while they're sent out with little kits or whatever it's better to get that skill out there at the local level so we would hope that that would happen as well now I just have to say that the bikes have to be 24 inch wheel because it's rough terrain and we need that type of a bike you know Okay so that's the only criteria that size of wheel anything else you have get it there drop it in and it will be looked after what about this youth leadership programme on a local level that you're involved in? The youth leadership programme is what done once a year and that's where local schools come in and uh, we advertise there for them to t- partake in it. It brings them right through um, interview stage and gives them that skill and opportunity with it. And then we fully support the winner and the winner could uh, actually go on to Strasbourg. And at the moment, there are 24 students from around um, Ireland out in Strasbourg um, um, getting to the feel of the European connectivity there and they'll actually get in and see the uh, Parliament and all. So it's a huge achievement and we would welcome any of the schools to partake in it. We have about eight or nine schools that partake in it each year in, in over in Alvin and also Drogheda, uh, the Rotary Club in Drogheda also have it as well. So it's a huge achievement and it's a great confidence builder because um, there's not as many opportunities um, for people to have that interview skill set um, so this one is really well and we and uh, all the Rotarians really support it and they give added um, support to the participants. You know, Rotary, I, I can r- remember Rotary from my younger years and that isn't today or yesterday as well. And they've always been there in the background. But you, you mentioned it; ha- the wheel has turned. It has changed. Gents only, then women involved, you know, business, but other people as well come to you. Is there a big commitment to take part in it? You know, does it take time? Or? 
Yes, it takes time. Once we meet once a week. So it's a, that commitment. Um, and then the projects. I mean, at the moment, um, the Rotary Club of Navan have at least 12 projects running um, intermittent uh, throughout the year. So there's a huge commitment and all the Rotarians come together. And uh, like uh, the... Bikes for Africa, while is a new one, we have a volunteering programme that is new with uh, the Meath County Council. We have the Cinema Night, which was a huge success. And we have our Golf Classic and a whole range of gambit there that we get involved in. So it's huge, but um, all Rotarians are very supportive as, as they go through it. So you're, you're raising money, of course, because the world needs a few Absolutely. pounds to make it turn, and, and in particular yeah. with yourselves. But there are many strands to where your supports go to. Oh, yes, there's a wide um, a wide case of need in regard to it. And each year we might have a particular thing. So last year we finalised this support for Alzheimer's uh, Society there in Avon and we awarded a, a bus to them. And that was uh, from local donations and also match- matching funds from the foundation, the Rotary Foundation. That was a huge achievement. I mean, there's people there on a bus maybe up for two hours that are travelling um, to get to that Alzheimer's Day Centre. So this was a huge comfort for them. Mm. Um, and then we've helped out the Meals and Wheels, we helped out the Navan Arch Club. But there's a whole range of um, charities and particularly um, the special schools. Well, there's a listener just come on to yeah. us there with a message in from Ray to say, Jerry, I'm the parent of a child at St Mary's School. I've seen all the wonderful work that Rotary does. I, I'm so grateful for the fact that they have been so kind to the children and I especially uh, remember the children going to Tato Park. For oh. the special visit there, it's not nice. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for getting in touch with us today. Look, messages like that must oh, they're very uplifting, particularly yeah. because you work um, quietly in the background, trying to achieve your targets or whatever for support for all of these various charities, and it's great to be recognised and, and to get that um, positive feedback. But the special school is a is a very special one. Tata Park really comes alive that day when we have all the children coming from St Alton's and St Mary's Special School yeah. and the Rotarians. So that's a special day. It really is. You're not the first president, are you, of Rotary in Navin? Oh, gosh, no. No, no there have been a, a number of women. No, we're celebrating 40 years. I'm, I'm so talking about women. You're not the oh, first no, woman. Oh, no, 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 yes. no, no. There would have been um, two ladies ahead of me. Yes. Lisa Rountree and Mary. And you change Lulee. every year. It's a, it's a, yes, yes, you only hold the presidential for one for year. For one year. So I've done from July and I'm, we finish now next July. So uh, July t- in 2020. But um, So the I'm pressure's really on in the 12 months it. to get oh, as much yeah. done as you, you'd yeah, like yourself yeah. personally. Yeah, you like yourself personally. Every president brings their uniqueness to it. So that's what it is. But I think we all have that passion of delivery for the Rotary Club of Nelfin. Uh, I hear you're handy on the golf course. Is, is that oh. right or is that a rumour? Uh, you're a member of Headford. I am, yes, correct. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, I enjoy. You love the uh, golf, yeah. do you? Oh, yeah, get out there and really mm. enjoy it and keep fit. I mean, as a family, we've always been involved in sport. So, um, it, it's yeah, it's a great honour there. And I'm secretary at the moment, so I'm really enjoying it. But um, I'll have to work on the handicap now, Jerry. <laughs> Give a busy woman a task. That's you. You know, secretary there, president of this, giving all your lifetime as well. 
You're a fabulous lady. Uh, and, and lucky, like, when you think of Headford as well. You have two courses there. You I know. The old and new. How, yeah. Do you prefer one over the other? Or? No, no, they all have their different yes. differences in, in regard. I mean, the old keeps you very tight, whereas you have the openness in regard to um, moving out on the new course. And I mean, they had held the championship tournament there this year, so that gave them huge mm. international exposure ah, as well. It's a lovely but, place. I've played it. I've played both of them as well, and I like both of them, I have to say, also. The new one is some challenge. It, oh, yeah. it, it really is. Anyway, your challenge is uh, evolving as the year goes on as president of Rotary. And just reminding you people again, if you have bicycles, get them to Mullaboy, isn't it? Where they Mullaboy. drop them off. Yes. Fantastic. It'll really be appreciated. Continued success and all the best for the remainder of your year with the chains on. And I'm sure you hand them on to a great man. I will. Tom Cannon. <laughs> Tom is the incoming. <laughs> a friend, a friend of yours. Had yes, a, we say hello to him today. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. And we do say hello to him. For the moment, thank you for dropping in. Delighted to highlight the work of Rotary and especially the Bikes for Africa. Jackie McCormick, thank you so much. Yes, you're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Friday afternoon and it's time now to look ahead at the sporting weekend and joining me once more is the communications manager with Boyle Sports, Leon Blanche. Afternoon, Leon. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me. It's all sport and politics this weekend, but we'll stay on the sporting side and begin with Gaelic Games, Leon. And let's look at Division 1 first. And uh, we have a lot of listeners uh, who live in the area and listen to us outside, indeed, of Louth and Meath uh, from Dublin. And the dub's at home to Monaghan tomorrow evening. Yeah, look, no surprise, Jerry, to see Dublin and the overwhelming favourites at 1-4 to four, uh, to beat the Farney men and I think they'll beat them and I think they'll beat them with a little bit to spare Dublin have started the league campaign very strongly um, they drew a carry obviously at home and then they went and beat Mayo away and I think Monaghan are up against it against the reigning All-Ireland champions I think if you're looking at maybe having a little bet the handicap is four points Dublin minus four at even money Monaghan plus four at evens but I think for me, I think Dublin can be winning at half time and they can be winning at full time. That's eight to fifteen. But just the dubs, Jerry, the squad they have, and even with the players that aren't even around at the moment, it's pretty ominous for the rest of the country. And I think Dublin will make it two wins out of three in Division One. Now let's move to Sunday and stay with Division One. And Meath are at home again this week to Mayo. Now this has become a real crucial game for the Royal County. They've lost their opening two. They really do desperately need something on Sunday. Yeah, look, it was a bit of a hiding last week, to be fair, against Donegal for Meath. And um, they're up against it once again, you'd have to say, against Mayo, who will be looking for a victory, having opened there. Uh, league campaign with a draw and then of course that defeat to Dublin so it's a tricky game for me again they are the underdogs at 21 to 10 a little bit better than 2 to 1 Mayo are 1 to 2 and the draw here is 15 to 2 and what we've seen so far Jerry, it's hard to be tipping up Mead uh, to beat Mayo and unfortunately I think it's going to be a defeat for the Royal County and I think Mayo can come to Mead and walk away with the victory now, their neighbours, Loud, are in no better fettle because they've lost their opening two. They let Tipperary come back at them last week and win by the narrowest of margins, but still, it's two defeats away to Longford, at home to Tipperary. They're in Drogheda again on Sunday against Offaly, who are not quite as in bad a shape as the Wee County, but here again, it's win or bust for the uh, men in red and white. Oh, it certainly is. Look, I was disappointed like you were. I thought they had performed extremely well last weekend. 
and they just let it slip and that will have dented their confidence but they've got to come out now against Offaly and I think if they don't win this game relegation is staring them right in the face so it's going to need a big effort from the Wee County the betting is very close Offaly are slight favourites at even money the Wee County allowed at 11-10 to 10, and the draw here is 13-2 to 2. hopefully Jerry third time lucky for Loud and here's hoping they can finally get a victory in this very very difficult division Let's move to Rugby Union and the Six Nations kicking off last weekend and Ireland are in Dublin again this week Visitors Wales who had a facile victory over Italy last time out but Leon Ireland's performance against Scotland won't suffice against the Welsh No it certainly won't Jerry. I think they left a lot to be desired against the Scots it was a pretty poor performance and they were quite lucky in the end to actually kick their Six Nations campaign off with a victory the Welsh did a rain um, Six Nations uh, champions and they're coming into Dublin and they'll be looking at this as a, a huge opportunity to defeat Ireland. The one thing that's disappointed me with the Irish, they haven't really changed from the World Cup. It's Conor Murray, get the ball, kick it high and hopefully get something out of it. Nothing seems to have changed under Farrell at the moment. Maybe it's going to take him a little bit of time before he can impose his style of play onto the Irish. But Wales, again, no surprise to see that they are getting three points in the handicap at 11 to 10. Ireland are minus three at 10 to 11. The match betting is what interests me, and I'm terrible to say this, but I've got to speak with my head and not with my heart, but I think Wales are a cracking bet at six to four to beat Ireland in Dublin. Ireland are favourites at eight to 13, but on that performance last week, you'd really worry. And you think Wales, with the power and the pace they have coming into Dublin, they won't be fearing this Irish team. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully Ireland will give us a performance that we can all... Um, look at it and say we're going the right direction but I just think with Wales at 6-4 to four, Jerry, for me, I think they might come to Dublin and walk away with a win Just before we finish, the Premier League is on a semi-sabbatical with many clubs on holidays but there is one game that jumps from the few being played this weekend it's Manchester City who lost an incredible game against Tottenham last week they're at home to West Ham who are now in a desperate situation despite changing manager yeah, look, Man City, I suppose if you looked at that game against Spurs in the kind of the first half, you would you'd be hard pressed to see how they went two, maybe even three nil up. Then they had the sending off and Spurs kinda of nicked it. Um, but they won that game and City will be licking their wounds for sure. West Ham, as you rightly said, David Moyes has come in there, but nothing has changed since Pellegrini left. The players are getting paid big, big wages, but they're certainly not performing. West Ham are twenty two to one to beat Man City who are 1-9 to nine. I'd be absolutely astonished Jerry if City can't put at least 3 or 4 past this West Ham defence which is absolutely abysmal and I think City for the players they have they'll be looking to finish second in the Premier League the league is over Liverpool are going to win it but I think City for the money they've spent if they don't finish second there will be some questions asked I think it'll be a big clear out in the summer Guardiola will have to try and get rid of some of those players who are getting big money but not performing but if you're a West Ham United fan you are well and truly worried you're just wondering where's the kind of steel and where's the bite in that side and there doesn't seem to be a lot of it around so for me City to win comfortably 3 or 4 nil. Leon as usual thank you so much we'll talk again on Friday next All the best Jerry. 
Yes, more from Leon a week today. Earlier on in the show, we were talking to Mike McCarthy in the context of Philip Schofield coming out today. Eamon's been on to say, Jerry, fair play to that man. One great story, and I'm sure it was tough to tell his son. But today we need to be more honest. I believe the stress can be devastating. I'm not gay myself, but we all deserve to be who we want to be. Thanks indeed for that lovely comment, Eamon, this afternoon. Yes, reeling in the show band years is coming back to the TLT. This day week, Valentine's Day, February 14th. Two pair of tickets up for grabs on late lunch and you can get tickets from the TLT box office. I asked the question, what's Red Hurley's real Christian name? His real Christian name is Brian. And I have a pair of tickets going today to uh, Rita Bohan in Dunlear and Christine Clark in Drogheda. Well done to both of you. We'll be in touch on that one. And while we're on the subject of entertainment, a few suggestions for the weekend. Country music star Robert Mazel and the Country Kings played this Sunday evening at the Ashbourne House Hotel. Doors open at half seven, dancing at eight. And remember, children are free right throughout February at the Titanic Centre in Belfast. A great reason to plan a family day out there at this wonderful attraction. It really is. And if it's something you've an interest in, there's an holistic and psychic fair taking place in uh, the Fairways Hotel Dundalk from 11 to 6 this Sunday. Check it out. Up next on the show, she's been with us right through the last year. Yes, Miss Ireland, Chelsea Farrell. And she's looking for your support for a really great cause. Being Miss Ireland, she's adding her way to a wonderful initiative that's happening from the 10th to the 15th of February at the Long Walk Shopping Centre in Dundalk. I'm delighted to say hello again this afternoon to Chelsea Farrell. Hello, Chelsea. Hello, hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks for taking our call. Tell us what's happening. So basically, the St John of God Community House in Blackrock, where my Auntie Donna goes, are doing a fundraiser to raise money for a new vehicle. So they're doing a pop-up charity shop in the Long Walk Shopping Centre in Dundalk from the 10th to the 15th of February, as you said. But they need this vehicle basically to access the community for social outings, activities, medical appointments, things like that. And it's so important to me, obviously, for these individuals who have intellectual disabilities. As you know yourself, I've done fundraisers already for. And it's my Auntie Donna who this affects. So hence why this fundraiser is so important to us all. Um, but the vehicle will be a specially adapted bus to suit the needs of these res- residents, of course. Yes. Because the one they are currently using isn't fit for purpose and it doesn't fit their needs. So that's what this charity event is all about. But the best part of it is the residents themselves have helped out organising, planning it, and they're going to be working in the shop themselves. So anyone who does pop down to donate or pop down to have a look will get to meet the residents that the bus is actually for, which is incredible. Ah, it's wonderful. And it is your aunt and many others who will benefit from this. And we have to say that they're desperately in need of a new vehicle and it makes such a difference to all of their lives. Yes, it does. Yeah, it's something so simple for us, but for them it's something so huge because they can't get out and integrate into society without this vehicle. Okay. So it is very important. But we also have, for anyone who can't make it to Dundalk, we also have set up a GoFundMe to for people who want to donate money towards the vehicle also, which is in, the link to it is on my Instagram, but it's also on Facebook. If you look it up, you'll get to it as well. Okay, so that's check out Chelsea on Instagram or Facebook and the link is there. Now, the shop yeah. is in the Long Walk, Long Walk Shopping Centre from the 10th yeah, to the 15th of February. Yeah. It's a charity shop. People can bring in and yeah, donate and so buy as well. of items and that that can be sold in the shop can also be accepted in. So if you contact myself or the girl running it, 
you can arrange a pickup point for the items or of course drop them into the shop and then everything is for sale on between the 10th to the 15th and all donations go directly towards the new vehicle. To get this new vehicle yeah. for the St John of God North East Community House, it is so important. And I'll yeah, give out that definitely. number. There is a number, I'll just give it out now. It's 087 641 That's 087 So this is another of your projects for the big year yeah, that you're having. Is. Yes, it's my first one of 2020. So hopefully it goes well and we get these individuals their bus as quick as we can. I'm sure you will. Chelsea, talk to you again, I'm sure, soon. Thanks Thank for you. joining us on the show. Take care. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That's that pop-up charity shop, 10th to the 15th of February, Long Walk Shopping Centre. Follow Chelsea on Instagram or Facebook for the details. Now, LMFM have teamed up with Scotch Hall Shopping Centre, Drogheda, to give all of you leapier lovebirds out there a chance to win an engagement ring. It's worth €1,000. It comes thanks to Boyne Jewellers, uh, and you'll also win an overnight stay and romantic meal for two at the D Hotel. All you have to do to be in with a chance to win is propose to your loved one on the De Lacey Bridge at Scotch Hall on Saturday, February 29th, between 1 and 2. More details from lmfm.ie, scotchhall.ie, and terms and conditions apply. 29th, propose on the De Lacey Bridge. Thousand euro ring could be yours. I like the sound of that. I'm sure the people out there will jump at the opportunity. There'll be a queue in the bridge on the 29th. Anyway, thanks to everyone who joined us on the show this week. All our guests, to my producer Louise Walsh, and to your listeners who join us every day. We really do appreciate your company. With the 29th in mind, the engagement ring. What better way to finish late lunch than on the theme of love with Mr. Barry White. First, last and everything you are to us. See you Monday at half one. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We want you to challenge us for the best deal on a new Renault or Dacia in 2020. You can now inquire at blackstonemotors.ie. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 